Hey, how's it going, man? Hey, how are you? Great. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming. Heck yeah, it has. We've been pushing this one back for a while. Glad we finally were able to knock it out. Yeah, but uh, honestly, it's uh, super understandable, man. You're uh, you're actually one of, the, one of the busiest guys. It's crazy. And, like, the whole, like, while we were pushing it back, I've been, like, watching a lot of comedy, like, like your stand-up comedy. And I watched one shot, actually, uh, like, about a couple of times, and I was just, like, fucking dying of laughter. I was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> this guy is actually fucking hilarious. And then I now I was finding out that you were, uh, that you actually do roles for people. And I was, like, learning so much more about you than the initial I wanted to meet you, so now I'm just like more of a fan, and it's like I love it. Perfect. I gave you enough time to do the proper amount of research for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And uh, I, I, first, I first want to start about this, uh, like th- this roasting thing. I don't think a lot of people like, uh, like I think your fans know you more of like uh, you know your stand-up comedy, you know your your dark humor or whatnot. But this, um, th- this uh, like the roast. How how did that start? And like how do you even get in that that, that mindset of just you know, roasting people. Well, you know, I, I was uh, I was raised in a tough neighborhood, and um, and uh, you had to defend yourself one way or the other, whether it was fighting or verbally. And I took a real liking to being able to make people laugh by making fun of someone that uh, you know was trying to intimidate me or something like that. And so I ended up getting good at it. I never thought it would go to any good because my teachers always told me that making fun of people is never going to get me anywhere. But I got a residual check in the mail from the roast of Justin Bieber and James Franco yesterday, and uh, I feel pretty good about it. So, so you, so you did a roast for for Justin Bieber and James Franco. Out of, out of it's funny because uh, the James Franco one I found that was just that was amazing because it was just complete like darkness and it was. <laughs> like for for me, I think like my like type of comedy I, I try you know listening to and watching is dark comedy. You know, I I love that stuff. It makes me like you know it, it's like okay, like it shocks you, but like this is pretty much how you want to be. You know, you want to go as as dark as possible. The Justin Bieber one was just was unexpected. Like, uh, did you write it for everyone, or was just like a couple people that you wrote it for for Justin Bieber one? Um, most of the people, yeah. There's a there's a great, amazing writing staff at the at the roast, and uh, we pretty much cover everyone. Yeah, there's a couple comedians that uh, do their own thing, but I think in the end, uh, usually they hope that they took advice from us too, because uh, it's a good advisory team, and we all crack each other up during the days writing the stuff and making fun of the people. And uh, so yeah, it's a it's a we write for everybody pretty much for the most part. Yeah. So the whole Martha Stewart, everyone thinks she's funny in reality. It's it's you. Let's. let's no, Martha's <laughs> really funny in real life. It's just you know throwing those jokes together in the roast pattern is a, is a whole different art form. But no, Martha's a hilarious, awesome genius. But uh, you know, it's one of those things to where to to have it properly written, it takes a lot of uh, a lot of just knowledge about the roasting art form. So, you know, we helped her out with that. And to her credit, she wanted to, she didn't censor herself and she went along with what um, the writers thought that uh, would be best for her to do. And we were lucky that she has that kind of great sense of humor to where she realized that what we had written was very funny for her. Yeah. And then that was just, you know, like, I think a lot of people were just shocked about how, how, like, how graphic and how dark she was going. So that already, you know, 
um, I went crazy. I, I want to talk more about the, the roles, but like going back to your, your comedy special on Netflix, uh, one shot. I, I was, I think my my favorite bit out of all of that, and I, I swear to God, I was fucking crying. I was crying on the floor with the whole Bill Cosby. The whole Bill Cosby bit was honestly fucking hilarious. I I, I think I was, I was yeah. <laughs> That was, was that was very early on in the that was very early on in the whole thing to where I think he only had like thirty some uh, complaints back then. I think it got up to like fifty or sixty. So I was definitely one of the first people to cover that, um, cover Cosby in a comedy routine because that was taped way back in March of 2015, almost three years ago. So yeah, so like and then and going to that like like especially like your humor like you, you know you go dark like you know like and and that's and that's what's working i think that's the whole style of like comedy everyone's trying to be that everyone's trying to get that dark comedy but you went with the, the bill cosby thing and then after you know that that beautiful transition going with the michael jackson thing that you know bill cosby should have you know been uh, the, the, the man to give Michael Jackson the right, you know, um, amount of um, pills for him to actually sleep. How, like, mm-hmm. when, when, when do you know, like, is, is, do you have a limit or just like, you know, fuck it, I'm, I'm, I'm going in, this is how, how, how deep I'm going and. Well, I test everything out on audiences and I get their feeling and their groans and their, you know, whatever. Sometimes I push it too far and then I have to dial it back because I don't want the sound of oohs and ahs. I want, I still want the sound of laughter. I just wanted to make them feel a little dirty when they're laughing about it. Um, so it's a fine line, you know, you sort of have to add words and take away words and figure out the right tone and everything to uh, get away with what you want to get away with. But normally I push it as hard as I can, but still elicits a laugh and not a groan type of thing. So I, you know, it's, it's, you got to watch the barometers on all that stuff. And uh, if it gets one thing one night, you got to try it differently the next night. What? How? What? What is? Like, if you if you just think in the top of your head, what is the darkest joke you said, or one of the darkest jokes that you've heard? Because I think it goes on with like inspiration and your own creativity. So if you could just from the top of your head, just think of something that you you said or heard. Hmm. When it comes to stand up. I think that, um, I think, yeah, I think I might have, uh, I mean, when it comes to dark, dark humor, I think that the darkest thing I've ever talked about, you know, I've never been able to make cancer jokes work. Like the word (laughs) cancer always just gets the audience to like shut down and they stop listening to you after that. They start daydreaming about their aunt or uncle or dad or mom that had cancer or brother or sister or whatever and uh it's just a really hard subject to try to elicit laughs out of i've tried that on stage and i always end up just throwing it away cancer jokes because i just can't seem to uh figure out the right one or the right rhythm or whatever to make it work um as far as the darkest joke i've ever heard from somebody else, I don't, I don't know. I can't exactly recall a hundred percent. Nothing's really coming to my mind. I sort of stopped watching stand up like ten years ago when I started. Like I sort of slowed down on watching people, other people, or watching people's specials and things like that. So, <clears throat> um. So you would just like actually watch them live, like um, any like any of your like, comedian friends, like 
you would like the only time you would actually watch a comedy, a stand-up comedy, is either live or like that's it. Correct. Yeah, because I'm pretty much there like every single night around it, and um, you know I get to every once in a while walk through if I'm about to go on or if I'm walking through to take a shortcut at the club. Like every once in a while, you end up in the back of the room while somebody's on, and if they're doing something brilliant, you can sort of tell, you can feel it. So sometimes that'll stop me in my tracks, but I don't really like try to find anybody or there's nobody that I have to watch every time or anything like that. Like I'm sort of just not over it, but I'm just really much more focused on myself and I don't want to pick up any, uh, you know, topics or anything like that unconsciously through listening to other people. You know, I just try to avoid it and figure out my own thing and live my life and figure out what's funny from what I'm doing and living through you know, experiences and stories and everything that I'm, I'm evolving more that direction, still staying dark, but really drawing from my own life experiences and stuff as time goes on, especially this, you know, this material that I'm working on now that isn't on my special. So, so the material yeah. you're going like now, like everybody knows you as such, you know, a, a dark world. So people see, you know, on the, on the Joe Rogan podcast, you know, people see your, your comedy special, they, they, they see your stand up. They they see the, the work you do on on Rose, so they they have that idea that you're you know like um, a, a dark comedian. And now you're seeing this new material. Are you going more, you know, are, are you are you saying that you're going more lighter, or are you going darker? And are you staying as dark as you are, but now you're just using um, I guess examples that people could relate to. Like what what is the new material that you are working on? If you could say. I think that uh, the evolution of my material is mostly like there's more stories and when I go, when the subject material is very dark, like if I'm talking about pedophiles, then the punchlines tend to be more silly. But if I'm talking about a silly subject matter, like a silly story that happened in my life, then a lot of the punchlines end up darker. So it's sort of like a balance of the two because it still has to be funny, which is hard in itself. But to keep it part of the tone that I like and everything, yeah, it still stays pretty dark and calculated. And you know, I I put a lot of uh, I put a lot of performances behind these jokes. Like I work them out regularly, um, and um, so you know, it's all about balance. But it's not like I'm going to be a silly goose or anything on this next one. It's still just me, but um, just more stories and more things that I think people can relate to. Whereas with one shot, I was talking about things that I thought maybe only I could talk about, you know, like maybe only I noticed that. But this time we're going to, I think, bring more people in. Yeah, I, I think you know. I, I think that will help more on. A, I think a mainstream level. I think that will like be more more in growth on that part. Um, and I, I gotta ask this this nickname, the the Golden Pony. Where where did I even come from? I, well, like, <laughs> where, it's where so that funny. From? Everybody always wants to know that, but the answer really isn't that uh, that amazing. It started because my buddy Benji. Um, was playing Risk, the board game Risk with some friends, and I was walking by them in the green room, and 
they all seemed like a bunch of dorks to me. So I go, hey, look at you dorks playing Risk. Which one Which one of you guys is the golden pony? Which I guess is like a paperweight or something. It's supposed to, it's not even a game piece or something like that. I don't know how the Risk works. But uh, I go, who's the golden pony? And then she goes, you're the golden pony, Tony. And he goes, that's a good nickname for you. I'm going to call you that from now on. And I didn't even like it in the beginning. But... <laughs> Next thing you know, he called me in. People were laughing at the fact that I didn't like it. And then they were like, it's the coolest nickname in the world. And everybody started <laughs> calling me in. And Joe Rogan called me in. And the rest is pretty much history. So it's like, now it's the name of my production company and I own it now. So, um, so yeah, <laughs> now it's, uh, now it's, you know, I love it. Yeah, because now you called it your podcast, the Pony Hour, too. So now you're like, you're really, you know, you're, you're, you're sticking to it. Oh, I'm completely embracing it. I have artwork and statues of little golden ponies around my apartment. <laughs> it's a, it's on now. Benji started something that he can never undo. It's just crazy. Because, uh, I don't know. You would just think, I think a nickname usually has like a bigger meaning to it. But it just really took off because I think people, for some weird reason, <clears throat> relate me to that. They can sort of see me being a golden pony. I don't know. It's a weird one. Honestly, I think like you're like I have I think out of everybody like you know all, all these celebrities, all these uh, like people I like I admire. There's everyone has these crazy nicknames, but there's always two two in mind that like that was really like into like yours. I was into it. So I'm like 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 where are you going with this? Like golden pony. I'm trying to think like some some crazy like dark shit i'm going in like this path of like what do you mean golden pony like what like what do you did he have a bad experience with ponies like when he was younger like i'm trying to like crack like crack this puzzle and now you're telling me this like had nothing to yeah. do with anything and now i'm just like okay well you know yeah it's because i made fun of my friends while they were playing risk it's pretty <laughs> much it yeah i'll never guess <laughs> that 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 and also um the the, the golden the golden snitch what um what Brett what Brett and Shop calls um Jeff uh, oh yeah Jeff Nowitzki yeah like that 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 was, that was you know like the golden snitch and that that always both both those two just like always caught my eye and yeah you know it's it's a good name Golden's a good thing to have in your nickname yeah but I honestly maybe I would like try get something golden but I think it's just you can't you can't do much you know I I think that's I think that's the best you go you gotta go golden snitch like to the other extreme then you have the golden pony you have like one on two sides so like you can't do really much with it (laughs) (laughs) so uh, i gotta ask now you know going to to the mma world what's um you know i think everyone has you know like a sweetheart um everyone has that you know that um that their fantasy like mma for me honestly uh it's, it's probably like Paige Van Zandt, like Tisha Torres, I don't know what it is with those two, but they they got me. And then you got like you think with Joanna, like it became so big that like now Joanna's a fan of you, you know? Like oh, how, yeah. how did that how did that relationship happen? Because I I know I'm here on the on the on the Rogan podcast, like hearing with you that like you you know you, you admire her, you're like a fan of her, like uh, and then it, it it switched from now her like you know loving you, her being a fan of you, like how how did that relationship you know? Uh, I think it was uh, four or five years ago. I went to a uh, UFC and performed with uh, Joe Rogan, and uh, we performed the night before. We did, went to a UFC the next day, and Joanna was like in the middle of the card. You know, nobody knew who she was. I think it was her first fight in America or in the UFC or something like that. 
And um, I just thought she was amazing. She really like flew off the octagon to me. Like I could, I don't know. I, I, I just saw, I saw what everybody else was going to see a few years later. Raving to her, raving about her to Joe Rogan. And then, um, and then we did a fight companion podcast a few months later and she was on that. And I mentioned her again and, um, and again on another Joe Rogan podcast. So it just sort of got out there in the zeitgeist that I like loved her basically just, I thought she was an amazing fighter and I thought she was beautiful. And, um, and then around like, what was it? Somewhere between her third and fourth fights, uh, we had met, um, uh, Joe Rogan introduced us. He was doing an interview next to the octagon with her. And we met and hung out and had a nice talk. And, uh, and then since then, we've just always said hi to each other. And, you know, I, I sat next to her during one of the UFCs, uh, last year and, and, um, two fights ago before uh, she fought Rose, the fight before that, I mean, I was like, you know, she was like looking at me and sending me hand signals and looking at me at the beginning and end of every round, looking directly at me to the point to where Cormier and Joe Rogan were looking at me because they were trying to see what she was looking at. They just couldn't believe that she was like, you know, really like, I don't know. There was something going on there. It was amazing. And, um, Unfortunately, her first fight uh, that I wasn't at was the fight with Rose. And um, she said after the fight that something was off, that she didn't want to talk about it. But I have a feeling it's because I wasn't next to the octagon. (laughs) 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 Well, I I think she uses me. I think she uses me as a powerful force you know, in her mind, like that she's friends with like funny Americans and stuff. I think that's a big deal to her. And I think it sort of calms her spirit, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> well, or, or maybe you just, you know, you're spot on accurate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> probably, you know, it could be, it could be that too. And, uh, the, like ever since her loss, which was, you know, one of the, uh, during, you know, one of the craziest upsets in, in women's sports, you know, they're comparing that to, to Holly and Rhonda for how, you know, just shocking what is, uh, have you spoken to her since, or what's your, like, you know, what, what, what how, how did you feel then? Cause I remember uh, when Anderson, Madison was my guy. And when he lost against Weidman, I felt very, it, it felt like my, my world kind of changed in a sense. Like how, how did you feel about that? I was, uh, I was devastated because I really wanted to be there in support, but um, I had a gig that was uh that was in Mexico actually and um but no we've messaged since then and everything's good and uh I think she's ripe and ready for her next fight. Hundred percent sure of that. And um I think it's gonna be business as usual when she gets back to it. So but as far as how I felt, I mean, it was devastating because we really are friends. We talk to each other I mean not talk talk, but we message each other pretty pretty regularly. At least I'd say once a week, once every couple of weeks. And, um, you know, when you did it, just the whole thing changes after a while. The first time I saw her, I was a fan. And the second time I saw her, I was a huge fan. And the third time you see her, she was my friend. And then the fourth time, it's like, you, you know, these people and you sort of, you know, 
even from Instagram and whatnot, you know what um, what we're doing and what we're eating and what we're you know laughing at and who we're hanging out with and all this stuff. So, um, you know, you just feel closer to a person. And just like with my friend Nate Diaz, when these people get in the octagon, when you really you know when you're really friends with someone or you really care about someone, all of a sudden every one of those punches that lands on their faces or really anywhere or kicks or anything, it all, it all hurts. You know, it hurts you. So that's the thing that sort of sucks is like, you know, it just hurts. You think that it's like fun to have a friend in there, but that's when you realize how sort of crazy MMA really is, is when you do have a friend in there and you're watching them get punched and you're like, this shit sucks, man. So it it it, 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 it does. The, it's the catch with it all. You want to be friends with them, but once you are, um, it takes away the fun, sort of. Well, it's it, it is one of uh, I think the most brutal you know brutal businesses out there. You know, I, I've I've competed in, uh, in 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 many fights myself, and it's just being in there, and then you know when when you. I guess I experienced it in a way that when uh, when I lost for my first time, I went back to my family and friends. I saw in their faces, you know, you you, you think that you, you you did it wrong, but then you see their faces like uh, something something incredible happened to them. Something, you know, at, at that point it was a negative emotion, but you you see what you you see like they were in there with you, and I think that's a crazy thing about the sport because whether you're you know, a fan or a friend looking out for another friend or a family member or someone in there. We have that connection with somebody in there. It's it, it's kind of it's kind of like a virtual reality world that you're in there with them to kind of say. It's like it's kind of hard to say what a lot of people don't really know it. MMA is you know it's fresh. I guess it's new and a lot of people are starting to get these emotions. But for for you to have that and if you understand like like it's a it's an incredible, incredible and devastating feeling, to just to say the least. Yeah, it goes both ways. When you win, it's amazing, and when you lose, it's just devastating. So, you know. So, so your your MMA, your yeah. MMA world, your like not like I, I not say the introduction, but you getting in there was because of your you know your relationship with with Joe with Joe Rogan. How how could you? You know, how could you explain that to to people uh, to people out there? Like, what what is your relationship? You guys are just, you guys are like best friends. You guys are just, you know, um, you guys are just like work related friends. How how is that relationship with you and Joe? Well, we're uh, we're comedians, and Joe's a real, real, real comedian, and I'm a real, real, real comedian, and we grind a lot, and do a lot of spots at night, and uh, you know, we hustle hard and work hard, and we try to get better all the time, and uh, that's really what friendship and uh when you do comedy with joe normally he performs in um big cities the night before ufc he has that night off so he gets there and uh has an opener maybe two on a rare instance once in a great while um and uh so i do a half hour at a big theater and he does an hour plus and then we do it again sometimes that night again they'll empty the theater out and fill it up again with joe rogan fans and and uh we just do stand-up comedy and uh you know it's a crazy crazy thing much like you know mma you're out there on your own and 
and uh, you want to do as good as you can and you can get better and this and that. And, um, you know, it's a game of timing and execution. So, you know, the two worlds are very, very close. And, you know, once I do the crazy thing is, is my older brothers introduced me to MMA when I was a kid, you know, when Hoist Gracie was in the gate, they had me watching it. Nobody knew what that stuff was back then. And, and, uh, I mean like the kids I was hanging out with didn't. And, um, you know, to just get to be this close all the time now. And, you know, when Dana White sees me, Hey, Tony. And when, you know, Bruce Buffer sees me, gives me a big hug. And, you know, we're all just buddies now from, you know, going to all these different crazy cities and places together and seeing these crazy fights. And, you know, I remember uh, being next to the octagon a few fights ago when it was the, uh, who was it? It was Yancy Madero versus some, crazy Brazilian. You remember that fight? Is, is one of Eddie the one I just had Eddie Alvarez and yeah, and Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gacy just fought. And uh Dana goes, Man, fight of the night for sure, right? After the Eddie Alvarez fight. But he had just walked into the arena. I don't know how much of the Madero fight he saw earlier on, because I hadn't seen him yet. Maybe he wasn't there, maybe he was backstage, but I you know, he goes, man, that has to be fight of the night, huh? I go, you should have seen the Madero fight. The Madero fight was the fight of the night. And he goes, you think so? And it's like, all of a sudden, I'm talking about what's the fight of the night with Dana White next to an octagon, you know, knowing all the guys. John Annick's cool to me. Daniel Cormier's great and funny. Uh, Dominic Cruz, all these guys, you know, when they say what's up and they look you in the eyes and everybody's cool and happy and they're excited to be doing what they're doing too. It's not like they're showing up to some shitty job that they don't like. They're showing up to their dream job and everybody's happy. I'm happy that I get to sit that close and they're happy that they get to sit that close. You know, it's just amazing because everybody's just big fight fans and it's just a happy time when those are going on and everybody's excited and we're just doing what we love. No, nah, well, that, like what you just explained to me, I felt like I was, I was, I was there for a minute, and I, I can't, you know, I can't imagine that. And it's crazy because I've, you know, I've, I've competed myself, like I said before, but I've never actually sat like, you know, a cage side or ringside to, to an actual fight. And for you to see all these guys, and for everyone to acknowledge you, and like, yeah. and you, and you're talking, you know, you, you know, you're talking fights with Dana, uh, you know, and, um, and to actually go back to it, you know, um, Madero's, it was, um, it was the same night. I think he fought uh, Alex Oliveira and I, uh, yep, that's the one. Oh my yeah. God. Oh my God. That was <laughs> the shit out of each other. I mean, awesome. They beat the shit out of each other. I don't know how it translated to TV, but us in the arena, we were losing our fucking minds, man. I mean, it was just as great of a fight as it gets. Oliveira completely ran out of gas at the end and Yancey, you know, kept throwing punches almost like in a Diaz-esque like way, just didn't shut down. And the crazy Brazilian Oliveira, you know, gave up basically. But, uh, I mean, he almost beat Yancey Medeiros. Like I think like 10 times in that fucking fight, he had Yancey in trouble. Oh, so, Christ, yeah. I mean, it was on fucking real there's no other way to describe it just not believable at all that's the way it was but, but not only did that fight so if you were there live man you were there at one of the most craziest events of, of like the year you were there for for max bless and also you were there you were there when the ganu 
fucking brought Wolverine yep. to a new millennium. Yeah. And we all knew that was going to happen, too. But we were all still shocked when it did, how it did. You know, we thought it was going to happen that way. A lot of the people were talking about, man, Nagani's going to knock his head into another dimension, probably in round one. It was a conversation that I heard backstage and around the area. You know what I mean? You just hear some of the guys talking and this and that. And um, for it to be like that part of the zeitgeist, like we all thought that that was going to happen, I looked around at some of the guys around the octagon that I heard say that they thought that was going to happen, and you would have thought that, by the looks on their faces, you would have thought it was a shocking ending to them because the way he did it and the way it felt, again, these things don't translate through the TV, man. Some of the things you really have to be there to understand. Like, I mean, it looked like Overeem fell back into a coffin and the coffin closed and the coffin went in the ground. Like, I mean, it was scary. So, you know, it's just one of those things. And that goes to show you how great the sport is, that people thought that was going to happen. But when it did, um, you know, it's, it's still surprising because it's just amazing what can happen in that octagon with these, you know, freakish athletes giving it their best. So, and Nagano is one of the scariest, the scariest guys out there. I remember, um, oh. well, he, he uh, it was that he fought the, the um, December, early December, and I know a week before actually, me and him spoke. We spoke on the phone, and it was honestly, it was the most terrifying conversation I've ever had with anybody. <laughs> I, 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 I swear to God, it was we 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 were talking. I'm like, all right. I'm like, I gave him my phone number. I'm like. You know, let, let me know whenever you want to, you know, talk and we'll, you know, we'll do an interview. I did not expect that he was going to call in, in about like uh, an hour after we, we spoke. So I'm on, like, I'm in the car. I'm, um, I just left my house. I just got a call from, from Vegas. You know, I think it's one of those, maybe it's my lucky day. I won one of those uh, cruises. And I'm like, all right, yeah. you know, I'm going to take my girlfriend out to a cruise. It's exciting. And um pick up the phone and I just hear like, hello, like, you know, that, that's his French deep voice. I'm like, Oh shit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, hello. I'm like, I'm like, who is this? And he just like, it's Francis Nagano. And like the way he was talking, I was like, I was already petrified. I'm like, Holy shit. I'm like, imagine how like Alistair feels. I'm like, he must be like, like it's like, and then, then you see it happening. You're like, this guy is one of the scariest guys on, on the planet earth. Oh hell yeah! He just has to. Who, yeah. you, who are you? Who are you picking for him and Stipe? Are you? Are you Team oh, Ganu? God, I mean, <laughs> I'm from Ohio. I'm a big Stipe fan. Oh. I just don't see how he survives. He's gonna have to use every. He's gonna have to use every inch of that octagon and every brain cell in his skull to uh, be able to figure out the method of beating Ganu. I just don't see how. Nagane doesn't win everything for the next at least few years. Like, until someone kicks his knee in backwards or something crazy, like, he's a fucking, I don't know, he's different than Rumble Johnson. I got to see Rumble quite a few times in person <clears throat> at all the events that I went to. I saw him. Nagane has, like, some Rumble-less qualities to him, obviously, with his quick strike knockout abilities. Mm-hmm. But, there's a difference and it's uh and it's and it's scary. The difference is is um Rumble would be able to um hit someone and have them hurt. You know, all of a sudden they'd be 
wobbly and they'd be in trouble and Rumble would have to capitalize in that moment. Naganu just has this thing where he hits you and you're done. I mean, it's over. You don't even know what's <laughs> happening anymore. And, and everybody's panicking and freaking out, and looking for medical help for the person. There's concern for the person that just got knocked out. I mean, Overeem was out for, you know, they don't really show it, but he was out for at least 30 seconds before they were even able to move him at all. So uh, there's this huge difference between Rumble and Naganu, and it's that Naganu fucking puts people not to sleep, to to die. It's like an open <laughs> casket. It's freaky. It's fucking freaky, man. So, like, Stipe, you guys, Ohio, but you, you're going with you going with the facts. Here. You're going with the guys. I'm rooting, I'm, look, I'm rooting for Stipe. I'm rooting for Stipe. I want Stipe to win. But if I had to bet my net worth on one or the other, I'm going with the Kaku. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about though. it. You're not wrong, though. You know, that's... Yeah. That's the the proper bet. You're going with the proper mm-hmm. bet on that one. Like, think yeah. about it. That guy is just a, a monster. Um, actually, now I, I want to ask you for some advice here. I want to ask you for some advice. So, one on one, you go as as hardcore as you want. Um, I, I'm 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 thinking about just doing not not as a career, but I want to try stand up. I just want to go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, they, you know, a lot of people tell you some some crazy things like if you if you bungee jump, you skydive. You know, you're you're in a you're in a, a fight, and they, they, a lot of times I've heard um, the fear factor of you going on stage, for like of of, a, of stand-up. Now you're not necessarily stand-up, like that's one of the biggest fears because you could either you know get that that achievement feel that you know you make people laugh, you walk out, you know you're considered a god, or you get that you go on, you say a bit, you suck, you get booed off, and you're like fuck, I'm the this that was the worst thing I've ever could have done in my life. Like, like I was, I was like, I'm like a little piece of shit. Like you just, so it's a lot of disappointment. So let's say I would yeah. wanna, if yeah. I wanna do stand up, what's like, like right now I have no experience in it. I don't even know if I'm funny. Uh, I think my parents and my girlfriend will have just stay face. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's right now? What's your your advice to me? I want I want to do stand up right here right now. I got I could get myself a gig in three months. What's what do I do? You just got to do it, man. You got to do open mics and uh, go out there and plan on bombing and uh, get good at it continuously for the next three months until you do that date that you originally set that you said you were going to do it on. And then you'll already have all that experience to use. You know, it's just like anything. But if you set the date for three months from now and you don't practice it on an actual stage in front of people until three months from now, you know, there's no prepping in the world. You have to actually do it to get good at it. All the writing and all the, you know, inspiration in the world isn't going to get you better at something until you try it. So I would just say go to any open mic or go to a karaoke bar or whatever and just start knocking it out, you know? You're in Montreal, right? Yeah. Well, there you go. You're in the epicenter of it all. You got comedy clubs all around you sure there's open mics everywhere and um you know it's not that big of a deal those people don't know who you are they're all worried about themselves anyway so once you realize that it should take a lot of the pressure off you and they want you to fail anyway so like you're just going to be doing what they expected of you 
So, you know, the point is, is like, just knock it out and don't get in your head about it because once you beat yourself psychologically, it's already over. Whereas if you get some experience under you, you know, you can do anything. You just got to pretend like it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> so, so that, you know, that, that's like, that's a great advice to kind of, kind of scare the shit out of me too. Like, it's just yeah. <laughs> the best of the world. For for you, did you start up stand up or did you um, right away write for uh, for a roast? Because like you're like no no, I started stand up first. I, I was doing stand up like three or four years before I ever got the chance to write on a roast. Yeah, I was doing it like every night, pretty much every night for three years before I got to write on anything. So <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know I got a job at the comedy store in Hollywood early on. And, but I also, you know, part of the thing is like, I didn't want to dilly dabble. Like I didn't want to just, I looked at it like I was going to do it for the rest of my life. So that probably helped me, you know, or is it, you just want to tiptoe in it and try it out. You don't really care at all. Then it doesn't really matter that much anyway. You know, you look at it like you were going to do it a hundred times. Then, you know, you would get better as you got on. You know, you just get better at things, just like with anything. That's 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 a that's a scary thing, you know. You're just just thinking about is a is a scary thing. But I, I think I'm gonna do it though. I think I'm just gonna you know do it and try to like like I think like now like just if I do it once and like if I have like a, a goal like an end goal, and if I try to make the end goal maybe one day like going to a um, comedy store because like I think I think that that's the comedy store is one of the most like. Like like famous comedy stores now, you know you have uh, like you know you uh, Joey Diaz goes in it. You have a lot of these you know hilarious like guys. So maybe you know one day I could like try go there in, in front of you and, and you tell me how it is and heck yeah, come on, be... Kel Tony. <laughs> have you seen Kel Tony yet? No, I haven't actually. Wow, it's a big live podcast where comedians sign up for the chance to get one minute in front of me and my friends. Oh, and uh, and then you get interviewed afterwards. You'd be great on it every whoa, Monday whoa. at the comedy store. Okay, wait, wait. Okay, how how do I do this? You gotta you gotta let me know. This is, this is the first I'm hearing about this. The first I'm hearing about. You just this. show up to the comedy store on a Monday evening between six and seven p.m. on the front patio. There's a sign up sheet, and then you walk into the main room when doors open at seven forty-five. And uh, if I pull your name out of the bucket. You come up on stage and you do 60 seconds of stand-up. That's it. And then we get uninterrupted, though. And then we get to talk with you about anything we want to afterwards. Jeez. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> that's, that's a crazy thing. Um, I think I think my well, my next my next uh, vacation, I want to go out there just to to see it. But then doing that, I must be a that's a, that's, a, that's a wild thing, though. That's a I think I might actually shit my pants, though. I think that's the only. A negative effect of all. I think well, that's that, that's the that's the fun in it is you know having that adrenaline rush and you know feeling that feeling. It's crazy getting to see some of the people that get pulled out of that bucket. They look like they're losing their minds, and then other people embrace it. You know what I mean? You'd be surprised sometimes how our bodies react to those high stress situations. Man, We're built to survive. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true though. That, that is true. Um, so some something else I wanted to bring up here. Um, I know in, in 
California, Colorado, it's it's legal. Mon- Montreal here, I don't know what's the story with us. It's it was supposed to be legal two years ago, and then there was rumors supposed to be legal on 420, didn't happen, and I was saying by the summer it should be legal here. I I, I really don't know, but what's you know what what what's your take on um, on marijuana? I love it. It's been legal to me for ten years, every single day. Um, and uh, I love visiting. I love it that it's legal here now, and I love visiting the other states in which it's legal in Colorado and Washington and Oregon. And I go to Montreal once a year for the comedy festival, and I can't wait for it to be legal there too. That's going to be fucking amazing. I think it should be legal everywhere. It makes money. People enjoy it. It's better than other medicines and other things. So it's a win-win for everybody. We've been waiting on it for I think the longest time. It's crazy how like how it took how it took so slow for it to come to come here in Montreal. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's interesting. I want some of that poutine cuts. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, man, you, you gotta tell me next time I go to Montreal, man. I'll hook you up, man. We we'll go to. You know, hit up a club, man, get some drinks, and uh, they, it, it's it's crazy how like now you know you could get you could get it and it's, it's good. But I'm scared of the fact that we could get now it's good. You get the, the good stuff, but then when the stores come in, you know, when you have dispensaries, is going to be as good as when you're getting it now. I think that's something that scares me kind of about it. Yeah, it'll be great. It'll all get you high. Yeah, well, it, it depends on what kind of high you want to get, though. We, we get deep into it. You get that, you know, what? Had a long day. I'm just gonna take it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to sleep. Or you have that, you know, what? We're gonna, we're gonna go crazy tonight. Let's have some fun. Or you know, you're just with the girlfriend. You know, or the girlfriend. You just like, all right, just chill out. Like it's, like I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm nervous about the dispensaries coming in because I don't know what's like if it's gonna be like some legit shit. I don't know. That's the only, that's the only worry I have. And the market will always work itself out. I mean, there's still going to be people growing good stuff, and they're going to be able to, you know, since they're going to tax the stuff in the dispensary anyway, you could still always get it from your local dealer at a at a good price tax-free, you know what I mean? So they can still grow their pot, so their business might go up too. So I don't know. We're going to see how it all works out here. I'm not sure how it's affecting the uh, good weed market here because I got a buddy that grows all my pot. He's amazing. All right. Well, do you rather do you rather smoke it or or edibles? I've I've never had edibles. No, I'm asking. I don't do edibles. I don't fuck around with that shit. Like no no. I if I wanted to feel like yeah. that, if I wanted to feel like that again, I would just have Francis Nagano punch me in the head. <laughs> the biggest equivalent because I, I I I saw one. I think uh, I I even forgot where I saw it. I saw Joey Diaz taking like um. Um, what was it, like some for a black diamond or some crazy yeah. shit, and had like, yeah. I had like this amount of of THC that was like, on like a normal human being, you'd be passed out for like days, and he takes one and he's acting like he's like, he's still functioning. So I, I was just, I was just curious about that, like, yeah, like yeah. or maybe Joy Diaz is just his own like, just a special like unique human. Joey Diaz is a very, very unique human. That's the answer to that question. (laughs) How's how's your relationship with Joey? I love him. He's the man. He brought me up on my one-hour special, and uh, you know, um, that was an honor for him to get the crowd all riled up before I went on. And 
I work with him all the time. He's one of my favorite humans, and he's one of the few guys that if I do get a chance and I am walking through the back of the room and he's on, he's always a fun one to watch. Like, like for for him, like he has like what could you what could you say his type of of comedy is? Because like for me, I don't even know. I I, I always think like he's angry, like he's angry and I think. Describe it as explosive. I don't know what else to call that. It's just aggressively, <laughs> aggressively hilarious. He's the man. Yeah, man. Like, honestly, I think um, tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow Sunday, and for for me, man, honestly, I'm I'm not I'm not sugarcoating it or or anything. I'm not trying to be you know nice or be like that homo homo fan of yours or whatever. But I, you know, I've spoken to like so many people. I've spoken to to Steve when he won the belt. Uh, um, it's it's great. I mean, I've spoken to Bruce Buffer many times. Uh, you know, Francis. I've spoken to a lot of people, champions, announcers, or whatever. But you know, like talking to you just normally, man. Like you have no idea. You like inspire me, and it's like you know, seeing you like couch. You know, like being high as fuck and watching you and just like wow, like this guy is hilarious. Like how could you? How could I even like talk to a guy like him? And I'm to you now as I am. It's like one of the most like surreal moments probably in my life. Like it's, I love it. And look how you did it. You did it just by doing it, you do it and then you get it done. It's like you set your goals and, uh, you know, getting me on this thing is just an example of what I was talking about with the stand up thing earlier. You know, you just got to keep doing it and I think, or try it and do it and you'll be surprised at uh, what can come out of it. You know, uh, the, the way to, get things is by asking or trying and uh you did that and that's an overall thing for life you know so rock and roll man it was nice talking to you too my all-time dream honestly like not i really want to be a part of it to be honest i just want to be like uh, live i want to be live watching you, like you joe and joey diaz well you my- can i'll be back i'll be back most likely for the comedy festival uh this july so uh, I'll hit you up, and uh, we'll throw you on the guest list for a show. We'll kick it, and we'll have some fun. How about that? Hey, man, that's that's amazing. Like, you just made, like, <laughs> like now, now you don't tell me July. I don't know what to do until July. I have no idea what I could do until July for, for that moment. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've, I've held you for a long time, and, uh, like, uh, us, the, the the July moment, that's just, like, the guest list, that's my mind forever. But I got to ask, this is a random question. I don't know if you ever got this, but this is, like, for for comedy, this is my my break it question. I've uh, asked this to only comedians, and I want to ask it to you. You know my my like my number one guy. Like you're like I'm telling you right now, like you're my number one dude. Like I'm like right now I'm dick riding, dick riding you to the dead uh, social media page. I'm fucking tone. It's go for Tony or getting the ganud. That's gonna be the thing. That's gonna be the new <laughs> fucking. I love that. <laughs> That's gonna be Hell the yeah. new. <laughs> do you think I want to know your feelings about the show Seinfeld? Like, t- t- tell I just want to know. I, I don't even ask why I'm asking. I just want to know what is your thoughts on the show Seinfeld? That's it. Fucking random. But I, I mean, I mean, it was um, you know, powerful show, very successful. Um, it was Larry David's brain the whole time. You know, we were just seeing the brilliance of curb your enthusiasm, but his only outlet at the time was to use Jerry Seinfeld as his, uh, <laughs> you know, drawing board. 
And um, that's what I think it is. I sort of think it's just Curb Your Enthusiasm light with, uh, you know, made for network TV, not HBO. So, you know, it just goes to show the brilliance of Larry David, able to make all those characters so different and so funny. So I'm guessing you're more of a fan of, of Curb Your Enthusiasm than, than Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Sure. So have you watched yeah. the new season? No, not yet. Actually, I haven't. That's something I got to do. Well, I do it. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good. good. Yeah, he yeah. goes a bit darker than usual. He's, uh, he's Ooh. Yeah, he's on it. I'm into it. Tony, thank you so much for giving me the time. I know we want to do it for a long time, but I just want to tell you it's it's an honor to to spoken to, to spoke with you. It's you know yeah. it's one of the most this is like one of the highlights of my life, and it's one of the biggest I think goals in my life that I've ever accomplished to speaking to one of the funniest funniest people I've ever like like spoke. It's crazy. Like I'm I'm right now I'm like kind of like rambling on because it's just like. I can't believe it's actually happening and happened. I love it. Well, here's to accomplishing more and more of your goals in 2018, my friend. Let's do it together. Yeah, let's do it, man. Like I said, it's uh, go Tony or get in the gown. It's, uh, it's going right. to be a new thing. Right. So, I love man, it. All right, man. Thanks for the chat. I'll talk to you soon. I'll hit you up when I come to Montreal. Man, hit me up. I can't wait for it. All right. Later, bud.